Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast, the internet's best resource for getting ahead as a student, but a terrible resource for learning how to get down with sickness. Yep. Ooh, ah, 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 ow. Yeah, I'm not good at that. I yep. can't teach you how to do it. I, You know what? I probably could do it. I've learned in a year of singing lessons that I actually have a decent like guttural voice like that. Not screaming uh, okay. voice, that's, but that's good. I think I could probably do it. I don't want to hurt my voice, though. I imagine like on tour, that dude, what's his name, Damien? Probably hurts his voice doing that stupid thing. That's a good point and probably <laughs> true. I mean, I, I don't know about Disturb, but the, <clears throat> the singer for Avenged Sevenfold had to get throat surgery. And that's why on City of Evil... Um, that sounds horrible. Is it City of Evil? I think it's City of Evil. He doesn't scream at all because the record before that, it was like, it was your standard screaming metal record. And then... And let that be a warning to us all. Yeah. And whenever I go to vocal practice and happen to practice a song with screams in it, my teacher's like, don't do the screams. You're not there yet. And I'm totally fine with that. I have no desire to learn. Don't be a hero, kid. Yeah, don't be a hero. You either live long enough to see yourself become the uh, throat surgery patient. I guess. Or you die. You die a hero. <laughs> I don't know where this Something is going. Something like that. A little bit of more conventional joke structure. We can't pull out the Jerry Seinfeld stops every week. Yep. Listen to last we week's episode it. if you want the context on that. Yeah. Uh, today, what are we talking about today, Martin? Well, we're talking about this book that I just read. Yeah? By my boy, Cal Newport. The Necronomicon? Yeah, he wrote the Necronomicon. That's no one knows that. They're always talking about deep work, never the Necronomicon. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, he's a guy who wrote deep work. Um I believe our most downloaded podcast episode was on that book, mm-hmm. right? So, you know. Second most. Ooh. It's been can surpassed. You, can you guess what the number one podcast episode is? Now, this is YouTube and and um, podcast downloads combined. Um, I doubt you'll be able to guess it. I don't know. Because a random a five questions. questions. Nope. <laughs> it's the how to start a coffee shop I was going to guess that. Were you? <laughs> but I was only going to guess that because I remembered stupid outtakes I made. <laughs> because oh, back then I was I was, the, out, I was clipping out of context things <laughs> to make them stupid. And it was... The main one I remember is the one from the Neil Pasricha episode where it's just, I've written up a contract with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I still have all those somewhere. No, this, it, I think you sent them all to me at one point as well. They're great. But... <laughs> Wow, I could have guessed that one had I trusted my instinct, but I was like, mm-hmm. instinct, that doesn't make any sense. What are you doing? You know, it's funny. I thought that episode wouldn't do well. Um, I made that episode for our friend Carly, specifically. Yeah. Because she's like, I want to start a coffee shop when I graduate. And I'm like, cool, that sounds like it would be an interesting episode topic. And I didn't care what the audience was looking for back then as much. Yeah. So I mean, I feel like we've gotten, we've become even more, I don't know, we've like maybe come back to the lackadaisical topic approach in recent episodes. Yeah, a little maybe. bit. A little yeah. bit. I mean, they're useful. They're just not necessarily class focused, like one uh, yeah. might assume from the name. I think when we relaunched for season three around episode 200, that was like, we were trying to pick topics that were super relevant to the show title. And yeah. now we're like, should you work with your friends? Yeah, which is like, you know, it's I mean, it's relevant and useful, but but that that's an interesting episode because it has over 100,000 views on YouTube. But on the podcast side, it is not even in the top 10. 
And it's a weird anomaly along with Deep Work episode because those two have more views on YouTube than they do have uh, downloads. But everything else, the audio side gets way more. Like most episodes. Yep. Just that explains why I don't know because I only check this the podcast stats. Yeah. On the audio form. Most episodes get like Weird. a fifth of what they get on the audio side, if that. Sometimes like yeah. a tenth. It's just like a little bonus. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, People don't want to see our shining faces. They don't. They, and well, I, I can't blame them. I think our podcast doesn't work very well on YouTube because we don't talk about trendy stuff. I'm not trendy. Like when you think about the podcasts oh, no. that work really well on YouTube, it's... I don't know those. H3 podcast, it's Joe Rogan, and <clears throat> those are guest-driven podcasts. This is true. And, you know, it's like, oh, hey, I have... Uh, who was like the big who is a relevant Bernie Sanders name was in on like Joe Rogan the world right now yeah. basically yeah I suppose my not watching or listening to other podcasts also doesn't help me know what's trendy in the podcast world <laughs> well what I'm asking I is no can idea. you be Bernie Sanders I could, for a minute I could try get like get uh, a Vermont I need accent. like a bird <laughs> Bernie Sanders I need that bird to come <laughs> open a window anyway so yeah we're talking about yeah we're talking about uh, a different book by Cal Newport not Deep Work but. Uh, yeah, digital minimalism, and uh, it's pretty cool. And I have to be honest right up front. I have not even cracked this book open. In fact, I do not even own this book. So this is a book that you read. Yep. And I am curious to know about your insights that you have gleaned from it. It's it's going to be <clears throat> so insightful. You're not even going to be the same person at the end of this episode. Whoa. Which is still true. Are we the same person Regardless. when we wake up in the morning? Uh, it just depends on your definition of person. Yeah. I would argue yes, but you know that's a different podcast episode. Can we do a podcast episode on the teleporter problem? Yeah, <laughs> invent those teleporters and use them to teleport non-living goods. Bam. That's they're, true. They're still incredibly useful. Just don't put people in. That's them. very true. Then I we do don't not have to worry about the same Apple. Then we don't have to worry about the nature of consciousness. We just say, "Well, that's a MacBook. I don't yeah. care if it it's not conscious. Give me the MacBook." I mean, at that point, like, is it a teleporter or is it just a matter compiler? Because I mean, it's kind of like gonna, a 3D printer. If you were right? going to teleport physical goods, why wouldn't you just have the information for like the blueprint for the physical yeah, it's, goods? It's just a really good 3D printer, I guess. There would be no reason to assemble it at the beginning point if you were just going to reassemble the atoms later. Okay, well, let's invent 3D printers that they look like they're teleporters because everything materializes in them. Like, but then let's take that a bit further. All right, you don't want to worry about the severance of consciousness. Just assemble clone soldiers wherever you need them. Ready to go. Blank slates. That works. We call them sleeves. We're getting into some cyberpunk territory. Does digital minimalism talk about like the teleporter problem? Like, because um, you know, you're digitally no moving yourself it about. Does not, it does not <laughs> talk about that. Okay. Um, primarily, it talks about the relationship we have with technology now. Largely, our smartphones, since that's probably the technology we have the very closest relationship with these days, mm -hmm. and um, how we can sort of reevaluate that and regain a bit of control and focus <coughs> in our lives. And I thought this was going to be a useful book because um, I started using my phone too much again mm -hmm. this year, basically. Uh, there were a bunch of dumb things over the summer. I got stressed, less control over other things, then you start scrolling through nonsense to avoid it all. Yeah. And and that's not great. 
But I thought this book was really cool. And there were three main things, three main topics that it covers. So first, let's talk about what digital minimalism even is and why it's titled that. Um, his whole thesis here is that we have not properly evaluated the strategy we use when employing new technology. So we, mm-hmm. we use the any benefit approach yeah. with borderline all technology. It's just like, oh, that's fancy. I want it. Oh, Facebook will give me – it'll let me get messages from my dog. Therefore, I should also scroll through the news feed because I got the Facebook for all of it and I ignore the costs versus the benefits. What's the any benefit approach specifically? So, um, so when, when you're evaluating whether or not you should use a tool or – yeah, any sort of tool – the anti-benefit approach is just like, it does something good. Hooray, let's do that. But what this what this book would like us to do with technology, at least, is say, okay, there are some benefits, but what are the costs that come with the benefits? Mm. And are the benefits worth it? Because sometimes they're just not, and you need to live without those benefits. Yeah. You'll actually be better off. Um, you know, because... Be, Basically, we've all heard about how smartphones are evil. They're plotting against us in our pockets at all times, and they're going to cut all our hair off and murder us. But they're going to give us a haircut before they murder us. They need the hair. Oh, okay. Alive. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's unlikely we've done anything about this, even if we hate our phones. Yeah, I know. This po- this is the podcast where you maybe learn something, but you've got to deal with a lot of really dumb stuff on first. So you should consider whether you should use the any benefit approach Sorry. with this podcast. Is the dumb stuff worth worth it? I hope so. Okay. I'm anyway, good. it's I'm good. Practically everybody will just tell you, yeah, my phone's bad for me. Yeah, I should stop using this. I should stop using social media. Mm. But then they'll just do it anyway. You know. Like, yeah. oh, oh, God, why am I scrolling again? I yep. just closed that app. That's stupid. I'm going to delete this. It's like a compulsion. But, yeah, but then, wait a second, I can't delete this. What if there's an emergency and they specifically message me through Facebook for some reason? That's not likely, but it's possible. So I'll keep it installed. Bam, scrolling again the next day. Yeah. You make literally no difference no matter how many times you tell yourself that you would like to. And let's be fair, there are some legitimate uses. Oh, there are. Like my vocal school communicates through a Facebook group for their like jam nights where they're going to be and like where's the showcase coming up, things like that. Um, You know, and like there's a benefit to having a page presence. Yeah. If if not just to make sure someone else can't impersonate me. Yeah, I think about that too. (laughs) But like... We definitely use those real-world benefits as a justification for using the tool in ways that we don't need. Like, I don't need Facebook on my phone to see that group. Yeah. I could just check it in my browser. And that's really the problem is that these things are useful, but Mm -hmm. like the 5% of use that we get out of them, it entices us to ignore the 95% of what we're actually using this stuff for, which is pointless. And I think it changes our behaviors too. Like I like literally changes the way our brains work. I remember when I was in high school, I used to go on forums a lot. I don't know if you ever did. 
um, like discussion forums. Yeah, I used to participate in a hip hop forum. But yeah. I'm not going to name it or my username just in case that's still out there. I was in, like, the first forum I ever joined was for the metal band Demon Hunter. And it was awesome. I was like 12 years old and I was like talking with all these cool people about music. And then I joined an uh, MP3 player forum and learned like hmm. literally everything there was to know about MP3 players. But I remember, you know, I would happily type a response or I'd start a thread and ask a question and I would go about my business and then I'd come back a day later to see what the, the results were. And if I had a question about something, that's what I would do. But now I feel like I'm so used to instantaneous responses on Twitter and stuff like that. Like if I have a question and I've Googled for it and I can't find the answer, my brain has massive resistance towards like starting a thread on Stack Overflow or whatever. To get uh, an I answer, never started like, thread ever. I need the answer now. And actually, Anna and I were talking last night. Like, I've been trying to write a song, and I've been having a lot of difficulty. And she's like, "Why didn't you ask your good friend Martin, who has literally written songs before, for help, or your brother, who is a songwriter?" And I was trying to think through it, and I'm like, "Is it pride? Like, do I feel like I need to be the person who does everything?" I don't think so, because I'm going to work with an engineer on it. I think it's like. At every given moment, I feel like I don't have time mm. to go ask somebody and then wait for their response. I have to just do it now. Yeah. It's like instant gratification on all these social media apps becomes like the expectation for everything. Yeah, I think all of this stuff, everything today, all of our technology has definitely made it easy to be really impatient. I was mm. thinking about this just with uh, shipping the other day. Because oh, yeah. I, I ordered something from a site that wasn't Amazon, and I was like, oh, yeah, remember when, like, nothing was two-day shipping? Remember when you just had to wait, like, a week or two? Like, mm -hmm. that was fine. It was fine. But yeah. now it's like, this is going to take half a day? I want it now. Prime now. Give it to me in an hour. I'll pay extra. And then they're like, oh, sorry, it's not going to get here today. It's yeah. been delayed till tomorrow. It's like, oh, it's okay. Yeah. I guess I didn't actually need it. It <laughs> yeah, turns just, out. I just thought that I did. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, this is an overall adaptation we have to this stuff where it becomes just the pattern of how we live our lives. Yeah. And for the digital minimalism concept, he also, basically he says that he doesn't think modest hacks are enough. You know, little life hacks and do this, do that. We need a huge overall structural change and we need to change our philosophy about how we use it because the problem is that these things are designed to be slot machines in our mm. pockets. Yeah. It's, you know, they're, every notification ring is similar to Pavlov's bell. And we will all salivate for the new information or hopefully social validation that we will yeah. find, particularly in social media. But your phone in general has been designed to sort of do this because back when it was just an iPod touch, even when you couldn't do stuff, we didn't have internet... 100% of the time, so you were used to at least having mild pockets of time where you didn't have it, and now we have it at all times. We want everything immediately, and we can't wait for three seconds. We can't even stop walking long enough to respond to a text. We have to do both at the same exact time and run into people and be like, oh, I'm sorry, I, the, the 30 seconds it took me to give my attention to this person was too much, so yeah. I had to keep doing stuff. And... So Cal wants us to change how we work with this and, and consider it all from scratch, basically by starting with a sort of detox. And that way you'll, you'll be able to not have bias so when you're choosing what you want. When he says detox, does that mean 
deleting your accounts or does that mean just like grounding yourself from them for a little bit okay but he also wants that to be reasonable so if you're gonna go with 30 days without a bunch of stuff you should be honest with yourself about parts of it so if i do something work related on facebook and i need to that's perfectly reasonable but i should choose when i'm gonna do that Mm. and only use it for that like i have instagram on my phone but I'm not using it to scroll. I use it to post my thing in the morning. My I post a photo I'm trying to do every weekday at the moment. And you can't really post from anything else, can you? I was I posting on the web browser iPad. before because of a little oh, right. you inspect had little... element hack thing. Yeah. But I realized that I can tag the location on my phone even mm. if I'm not currently at that location. Mm-hmm. And so I've just been kind of lazily doing that. But I don't, I don't have any idea how the photo I posted this morning is doing. I haven't looked. I don't know. Yeah. It's, so it's like there's no reason for me to cut that away. I'm not using it unhealthily right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason that modest hacks and attempts probably won't be good enough is that these companies are putting billions and billions of dollars toward making those attempts not good enough. Yeah. So he talks about – That's true. Yeah, I guess you're right. Facebook's ad revenue. And I don't remember the years exactly. I only, I only wrote down the last one. But in the beginning, ad revenue on mobile was like you know twelve, fourteen percent or something. Within like five or six years, in twenty seventeen, it was eighty eight percent of their earnings. Mobile ads are eighty eight percent of their earnings. Yeah. So the thing so is, like whenever I've tried to run a Facebook ad, the desktop optimizations are basically useless. Most of their most of their money comes from mobile. And Dang. I would say that's likely true for quite a lot of companies. Okay. So they all have a strong vested interest in making sure that your eyes are on your phone as much as possible because that's where their money comes from. Yeah. Which means the mobile apps are especially designed to be addictive compared to the web browser versions, which at this point are probably just an afterthought. And it kind of sucks. It's like it's like now we live our lives through our phones – and it's like, oh, here's the prescribed experience. Like, here's the prescribed way to experience any one thing. Yeah. Uh, to the point where, like, people take pictures of their food to yeah, like, post like, online. Life and, like, is, like, performing. That's what you were saying earlier. Now, you were like, oh, we, we, don't yeah, just, there was a quote. we don't live life anymore. We perform it. And, yeah, like, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm an extra strong case of this because I'm in quote unquote influencer or whatever and i guess you are too ha you have to be um but maybe not maybe other people feel the same way where it's like oh and if i ever do anything cool i gotta put it on instagram hey i made this cool song better put it on Instagram. what's the point if i don't put it on instagram Mm -hmm. and like it's hard to respond to friends and everything because it's all got that element of performance yeah where i'm just like well i can't respond immediately i didn't have a smart answer yet give me some time to draft that a few weeks like we're friends, I thought we should just be able to, yeah, say things back and forth immediately, without having to worry about whether it's a good good answer for the public to see if it's on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, what if I write this and it's what I would have said to them, but the public they hate it, and now I look dumb. Yeah, but like, seriously, these companies make all of their money off of stealing your attention, your focus, your time, and also your data. So. Why are we taking them with us at all times Mm, if we know that explicitly they're selling all of the things that we complain we lack, focus and time Mm -hmm. and privacy for people concerned about that? A lot of people aren't now. 
why do we keep our phones in our pockets? Yeah, you because, just put it in your uh, backpack. Yeah, I, I I did that the other day did actually, you? and it just worked really well. It's like if you turn the ringer on, you're gonna hear it if someone calls you. You'll hear the no emergency. No one's gonna text you an emergency. But then when I put my hand in my pocket to grab my phone, what'll I do? I I don't know. When I just kind of instinctively go to it lane. in three seconds of boredom, I, the whole the whole thing is they're designed on purpose. They don't want to lose their billions of dollars. You think mm-hmm. Facebook wants us to have free time, or do they want to make money? It's if there's ever a conflict between the yeah. two values, I know exactly which one's the priority. Yeah. And because of that, we always have the phones. People might have the phone in the shower. They're waterproof now. I know somebody who has told me they put their phone in a plastic bag to take it to the shower with them, but now they don't have to. Yeah, that's that, to, to me, that's, a, that's absurd. And like so many people take <clears throat> their phones to the bathroom and use their phones while driving, which is just blatantly irresponsible and dangerous. But mm-hmm. it's still like, but I can't resist. There was a notification yeah. and I need to answer it. And so that's why he's arguing that we need to do a, a larger shift to reconsider and plan out how we're using each piece of technology. Yeah. Because otherwise we will eventually succumb to the powers of their psychological manipulation mm-hmm. and billions of dollars of you know research backing up our ability to become addicted to this yeah i want to address a feeling that i've gotten so when i started college it often felt like i had to take any advantage i could get to get ahead so it's like oh well you know i obviously need to build a strong social media following yeah because it's going to help my personal brain all these things and it's true to an extent like i'm not gonna lie i've had a lot of great opportunities that have come up because of social media. I'm not going to lie. That's what happens. But you were, you were mentioning like Pavlov earlier. Like, you know, they use like that BF Skinner type training to make the dogs salivate and anticipate a specific reward and, you know, kind of get addicted to it like a slot machine. That doesn't go away when you quote unquote make it. Like your brain is still in that configuration. And yeah, you're not free when you hit 100K. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, when I was in college, I made, I think, like, my first year in college, I made, like, two grand the entire year out of my part-time jobs and everything. Like, I was not, I didn't have that much money. And, like, now, I don't, like, I, you take a look at the studio. We've built a pretty successful business. I shouldn't feel like I need to be doing all this stuff on social media from a financial standpoint. But I still do because that brain training doesn't go away unless you work to make it go away. Yeah, habits are hard to break. But the other thing is like you get to a point where your past self would look up and be like, wow, you're so successful. And in my everyday experience, I notice like I'll be hanging out with friends and they'll be looking at their phones and I'll be looking at my phone too. And I'm like, wait, I don't like this. (laughs) This isn't cool. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, like that. we didn't always have that. And if we all feel like we have to be putting all this time and effort into social media to get ahead, then that means on an aggregate, like macro level, the world kind of makes a collective decision to go through these platforms for all purposes. And like, yeah, is that the world like, that we want to live? That's in? how we interact with the in- entirety of life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's how I felt when I, you know, when I first moved here, I moved here at the specific date I did 
so that I was here two days before a Regina Spector concert because she's mm -hmm. my favorite musician. And I was like, I really need to see this and I need to be moved in. I can't be all nervous on the first day. I need to be adjusted a little bit. And then everybody just got their phones up. And I was like, I'm oh, going to take it? I'm going to take one photo. Yeah. And then I'll take a photo of the board on the outside. But what's more important here, my actual memories and present tense enjoyment of this experience or like a really badly lit, poor quality photo that I could just Google and find 80,000 other people that just posted the same thing. I could just steal one of theirs. Like, yeah. do I really need – all of those photos are bad. They, I mean, they look terrible. The lighting is just the sound not, isn't the good. lighting's not set up. And if you're in there with professional photography equipment, they're probably not going to let you do that. So, no, so unless they're paying you. It's just like I'm here to experience live music. If I was here to experience merely a digital recreation, I could have just played the CD and Googled some pictures of Regina Spector. Mm -hmm. what, what's the – what yeah. am I losing if I look at everything through my camera lens on my phone? I'm, so I'm reading uh, David Byrne's book, How Music Works, right now. And he, he was the singer of Talking Heads and has done a lot of solo stuff too. But he was kind of talking about like before the advent of recording technology, music was like more something you did or if you were experiencing it, like you knew the moment it stopped, it was gone forever. Like you're never going to have that experience again. You may be able to like have someone play the same song for you again, but it's going to be different. The context will be different or the time will be different. You might feel different. So where you were in that moment experiencing it, that's never coming back. And that is still true. You know, like people still go to concerts, even though they can listen to like the most pristine, amazingly produced recording ever, because it's a different experience in a different context. And yeah, I feel like if you're just standing there recording it through your phone, maybe what you think you're doing is you're, you're capturing that moment, but you really aren't. You're capturing like a really, you know, subpar facade of that moment. Yeah when I went to the Tosh Sultana concert a few months ago, like I didn't think this was possible, but I cried at it. Wow. It was the best music show I've ever been to. And had I been standing there filming it, I don't think I would have experienced those emotions and watching. If I was watching like my phone recreation, I would just be like, Oh yeah, I did do that. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. I get credit for that now. Cause yeah. I could post it somewhere, but like what, where are you going to get goosebumps? <laughs> yeah. Not through your phone. Like, I don't, I don't want to live a life where I just half experience things and then create a record of it. And then, you know, I don't want to go like too far to the other extreme here and be like, well, there's no reason to ever photograph anything because like, you do get emotions back when you see photos, when you watch, you know, recordings, but it, it isn't yeah. the same. And I think, you know, if you're standing there the whole time with your phone, even if you're filming it, like you're not experiencing it. Yeah. That's why I stopped taking so many photos. When I was younger, I took photos of everything. And it wasn't even for social media. It was like more for my own my own record. But then I realized like everything I went to, I was just like, whoa, whoa what's a cool photo I can take of this? And I wasn't yeah. experiencing it. That, I don't even bring my like good camera mm -hmm. with me everywhere for the same reason. Because it's not a phone, but I still don't want to live my life through a constant lens of what can I what can I take here? What kind of photos can I create here? Yeah. What's good here? Because sometimes I just want to go for a walk and mm -hmm. just enjoy it, not think I can do something productive with this walk. Yeah. But yeah, it's just basically our relationship with phones is really unhealthy and we're fighting billion dollar interests with our meager productivity hacks, which yeah. 
tiny pieces at a time may just lead you to relapse if you don't know why you're doing it, which is why the philosophy of why am I using Facebook? Mm -hmm. I'm using it to keep in contact with a few people and so that family members who I may not contact very often can simply search my real name and find me and yeah. message me. That's important. But I'm not going to go to the news feed because it's nonsense. So I'll just go to messenger.com, which is just the messages. It's just the Oh yeah. It's just the inbox. It's the only part I want. Mm -hmm. So if I go to there, I am now using only the useful benefits of Facebook and avoiding all of the rest. So yeah. that's perfectly reasonable plan. I'm not going to give everything up. Another thing that's in this that I that I think getting further away from social media really helps with is he talks about the idea of solitude in yeah. this book and this is the part i found the most fascinating because really you know we've heard that our phones are bad for us i thought the billion dollar vested interest thing was very interesting but he talks a lot about solitude and how important it is for us and how we've lost it because when we are well actually first he references another book by that i can't remember the name of right now but it was a book about leading and in this book, they define solitude as time where you are free from the input of other minds. So it's mm -hmm. important to note here that when I say solitude, I don't necessarily mean you're in, a, you're in an empty room meditating and that's it. And all the yeah. walls are white and there's no light. You're just sitting there. You could, you could have so solitude. So like playing guitar. You could have solitude walking through me. a park. You could have solitude in a coffee shop if you do not anticipate that anybody will be interrupting you. Mm. So it's not literal solitary confinement is basically the thing because that's not very reasonable to get at all times. There's a lot of people on this planet. So is it is it quiet or is it just that one criteria? Just, just you're, free from input you're from free, minds? You're free to think. Okay. You're free with your own thoughts. Yeah. And I mean, if it's really loud, you may not be able to think very well. And that's that might, true. that might hurt your solitude. There's probably, yeah, there's probably like two types. Cause last night that's I spent like an annoying input, like six hours just sitting there making music, never checked social media once. Yeah. No one talked to me, but also like the only thoughts I was really able to have were, you know, what the music I was creating, which is very different from like being alone and quiet to ponder maybe your own feelings or things that have happened or problems that you have. Yeah. Like so those are two different things. Solitude can be really good for creation and it can also be really good for just the big questions in life. Who do I want to be yeah. as a person? What, what do I, what do I value? Mm -hmm. And those things are hard to get if you're constantly getting input from other people. And the problem is that we used to basically guaranteed get solitude in our lives. Yeah. We weren't able to 100% of the time be bombarded with other people's thoughts. But now that we have internet in our pockets and, you know, constant cell phone availability, mm -hmm. there really isn't much time where we're truly alone to our own thoughts. Yeah. And this, this is even true if you're doing something that's useful and good. Like, I think that books and podcasts and music are all great things. Mm -hmm. But even those, if if you're just constantly listening to other people's music throughout the day, especially with lyrics, that's input from other minds. That's their creation. That's their information that you're intaking. Yeah. Books and audiobooks and podcasts, including this one, all the same thing. If you 24-7 listen to this podcast, you never get a chance to sit with your own thoughts and truly think, 
Yeah. Did anything come of that podcast? Did I actually intake anything? And what what are my thoughts on it? Because we are all minds, mm-hmm. and if we are merely the instant reaction to other people's minds, we are kind of cutting out a large part of our own existence. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, there's this feeling that you know, w- there's all these productivity books and podcasts that we can listen to, and man, I can just be so productive because I can keep listening to them all day long. And there's so many insights that I'm gleaning from them, but you crowd out any time that you have to process them or to come to your own conclusions. And yeah, yeah, I think it does more than just that though. It kind of makes you dependent on other minds to solve your problems. Like you don't come up with your own solutions. Something I think about is like, we have like this insatiable hunger for um, curation from sources of authority. Like, who, you know, I'm not going to generalize too much because I know there's some people who do this, but how many people actually go into a library or a bookstore now and just like browse and be like, that looks interesting. I'm going to read it just because I find it interesting versus, all right, what's the best, like the top 10 fantasy books that have oh, been written yeah. since 2000? I want to read those because they're the best ones. Give me a chart. Give me an algorithm that recommends me music. Where's my Discover Weekly? Yeah, here's a new album by an artist that I ostensibly like. Let me check this YouTube review first. Oh, they hate it? Garbage album. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't listen to it. That artist has fallen off bad. Yeah, I think if you get a subjective reaction from someone else, that will actually, um, it will kind of push your mind to view it in the same way. Or maybe if yeah. you're a very rebellious person, it will push your mind to view it in the opposite way. But you're not getting your own unfiltered reaction to it. Yeah, either way, you're just reacting to what they said. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've had plenty of things where I'm like, that was, I loved that. Yeah, and then later I'll find out that reviewers hated it. I just be like, "Well, that's dumb. I don't care. <laughs> Leave." This is why I don't check reviews for things. Mm-hmm. And you know, when a new game comes out, I don't check the reviews. I'm just like, "That looks fun." And if I was a kid, I would have just bought that stupid game. Yep. And if it was trash, I probably still would have enjoyed it. Yeah, dude. One of my favorite games growing up was the Evil Knievel game for Game Boy. Like Rockstar made it before they were good. And I think if you look up the reviews for it, people are like, this game is horrible. Like one out of 10, the controls are awful. Yeah. You die instantly. And yeah, you do. But I had a lot of fun with that game when I was a little kid. Yeah. Like it was hard, but I don't know. And honestly, I can't think of a single book I've read that I didn't enjoy. Maybe because Ooh. I don't care. <laughs> There's one book I read that I really didn't like at the end. But you know Ooh, really? what? That that book was critically acclaimed. Yeah, what was that book? It was a really weird book. Um, oh my god. It was like, it was by a dude with. It was by China Melville. Crap! What's the book's name? I don't. Know. I don't want to grab my phone. I don't know this one because I could probably just think of it later. But yeah, I don't know. It was a really interesting book. But the ending was just like so depressing and like pointlessly so. I was just like, ah. I, like I, I kind of, I don't generally like stuff like that. But, but yeah, when we see an aggregate opinion, we're just like, oh, I feel like my opinion should probably be more in line with that. Like, what did I miss? Yeah. But you don't, because otherwise, you're not part of the tribe of people who agree on their opinion here. And yeah. it's scary to differ from a whole large group of people. It's, <laughs> Very dangerous mm-hmm. to be alone in your thoughts, thinking everybody disagrees with you. Yeah. 
you might feel like they don't like you because of it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that has something to do with the the fact that we don't really have solid, stable communities where we just disagree with half of them. And yeah, like what now? It's like, like don't canceling even canceling people. Yeah, you know, like I have I have you know fundamental disagreements with many people in my life that I love and who are like family members, but they're still my family. Yeah, and. You know, in real life, like I would just have disagreements with them. And that's that's another big thing about social media. I don't even know if digital minimalism talked about that, but like no. social media ruins lives. You know, like 20 years ago, you make a racist joke. Yeah, you should be admonished for that. Probably by one person in private so you can learn your lesson and hopefully become a better person. Not by... 50,000 people who are now calling your employer and your family and like every friend you've ever made and being like, you need to disassociate yourself from this person. They're evil and problematic. And if you have a relationship with them at all, you're also problematic and we're going to call your employer too. Like it's that's very messed much, up. I think that like it tries to come from a good place, but I think that it reflects a lot of what's not that great about our prison systems, you know, yeah. because we seek punishment and not reform. And we want like overwhelming punishment. We're like, I want the fire from God to come down and like wipe the earth of this person because of their offensive tweet. Yeah. And maybe they didn't even mean anything by it. Maybe it was an accident Mm -hmm. or maybe it came from a bad place and they do, they should change. And that's very often true. I'm not going to say that it isn't. And I have family members where I incredibly disagree with things that they've said or done in the past. And I'm just like, that's blatantly wrong. Yeah. But. But you're not if calling I, their employer up. But I love them and want them to improve. Mm-hmm. And if I disassociate myself entirely with them, they're left in their own little bubble yeah. where the only people that put up with them are the people who think that whatever they did 20 years ago is perfectly acceptable, which means that they have no motivation to change and, in fact, True. will become even further away from the position that I'd like to see them reach. Mm-hmm. So it's like I have a vested interest in my family and friends. I want to help them improve if there's something that I think that could be improved that they're, they're not great about. But if I just never talk to them again, in 10 years, I'll find that they were way worse because yeah. they only hung out with people who loved the dumb stuff they did. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's... It, social media is very polarizing. But it's also the it attention also, economy that It's also that. very dehumanizing because when you when you see something you disagree with, you are not hearing it from a human being that you are looking at face to face. You are seeing a profile picture and you're seeing text and you get no other context. Yeah. And yeah, maybe they're being a complete jerk, but it's just a fundamentally different thing because you just have this knee jerk reaction. You're like, there's some human out there. Don't know who they are. They are the other, they are the enemy tribe and they have said something I don't like. Well, in a way you're, it's, you have no empathy. You know, there's, you have to like, try to have empathy it could easily be tacked onto the performance element of social media too because Mm -hmm. you are saying look i'm publicly disagreeing with this so if you thought i associated with this person because of that just so you know i don't agree with this part there is a lot of virtue signaling and there may be really good intentions behind a lot of that i just think that letting people drift further into their own bubbles is only going to strengthen those bubbles Mm -hmm. and it's it's dangerous yeah. But yeah, the solitude thing is big. Like we just, it's so easy to not get it. And with the any benefit approach, it's so easy to justify not getting it. 
Yeah. You know, like I could listen to podcasts well, all day. It's optional cool now. Things it, it never used to be 100% optional, mm-hmm. and we could literally go 24-7 with the input of another mind. We never yeah. have to be alone, mm-hmm. which means we don't maybe get it. And, you know, actually with the whole bubble thing, you might be doing that with your bubble, which means you never have a chance to even reflect and say, wait, why am I in this bubble? Yeah. Maybe, wait, I don't agree with that. You mentioned belief as a tire in one of the other recent episodes where you kind of believe mm. what you believe because the people around you do and you want to fit in. Yeah. Well, if you're constantly getting input from them and you're never like off by yourself, able to think about it and question it, mm-hmm. it's really easy to have belief as a tire. Yeah. It's like, it's just wrapped up in your identity. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Uh, also, with the attention economy, the thing is that what's going to go viral? A perfectly neutral and reasonable opinion mm-hmm. or either an incredibly negative or an incredibly positive one? Mm-hmm. It's, and you're, that, you're only ever going to see high stimulation because that's the most stimulating. That's why news channels are filled with nonsense yeah. horrors nonstop instead of like, here's the reasonable amount of news that affects your local town. They're like... Here was an earthquake 17 billion years away, and I want you to know that in 20 years, it's going to do something horrible, be scared, and pay us ad revenue. Yeah, I think it it changes the sentiment, too. Like, uh, especially now that you can can actually see the person who said said inflammatory thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I feel like it's it's even more impactful than seeing a news report about it. Uh, I see a lot of people who are like, the internet is a terrible place, or everyone on the internet is bad, or like, you know, group x is all horrible and i'm like you're seeing like you're you're seeing a lot of bad stuff but it's coming from a very vocal minority if there are people if there are 50 million people who identify with a certain ideology you cannot see 50 million opinions and the 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 vast majority of those people are never going to air an opinion because they're probably moderate or they're, they're going about their own business and they just happen to believe something you're seeing a sliver of a sliver of a sliver and often it's like the most reactionary or extreme sliver yeah because again you're right that's what is going to go viral that's what people are going to retweet with their comment or whatever yeah and i'm not saying so, like be infinitely infinitely forgiving i mean if my family go becomes a serial killer i'll probably reconsider yeah associating with them you know mm-hmm. but and again this is like we're talking about philosophy which then you have to kind of dial in in practice but one thing i've started uh i mean i've I've tried very hard not to get in squabbles on twitter or to get involved with political stuff or whatever but um you know i'll see something and i'll like it's i'll see something that i very much disagree with or that makes me angry and you'll see like all these people replying right and what i've started doing is making this like conscious decision not to chip in because I know a zillion other people have already chipped in. So if I chip in, what is it actually doing? It's not going to do anything for that person. Who yeah. it, like, like, do you have a real unique 1, 000, thing to say or is it just copying the last yeah. 40 tweets? 1,001 replies, 1,000 replies. It will do literally nothing to that person other than, you know, maybe just put one additional straw onto the camel's back of their, their mental health, uh, so what is it really doing? It's something for me. It's just I get to you're, you're reassuring signal. yourself. I get to express my indignation. I get to you know it's me 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 me. Well, it's like recreational self righteousness. Yeah, it is. And and sometimes it's justified. I just think that the way we're doing it lends itself to bad habits, mm-hmm. which then find us 
you know, being self-righteous in situations that didn't call for it because we're so used to amping up to 10 yeah. immediately that suddenly everything looks like a 10. Mm-hmm. And now we don't know how to prioritize the actual 10s. Uh, yeah. Also, maybe there's like a competitive aspect. Like, oh, 100 people already put a pretty sick burn on this. Like they already, like already seeing, you know, 10 clown emojis on this. Yeah. I got to bring my A game. Like what's, what's my insult going to be? Yeah. You know? Oh, and I, you know, no, <laughs> please listeners, dude, don't, don't hate me for this. I'm not saying I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of everybody necessarily. I just don't put my opinions out there. And mm-hmm. also because I firmly believe that in, in this particular context, we're largely talking about productivity, education, self-improvement. I think that the people I disagree with, if they naturally listen to the things I say and kind of observe my personality, will understand what I believe, and they may slowly find themselves agreeing with me more and more. Whereas mm-hmm. if I turn them off immediately, I never have a chance to reach them. Yeah. And like I think that this is I think this is important. You have no obligation to state your beliefs on anything. I, I, would, no, I would rather just nobody can say in a general you sense. must take a stand. You know, now you your personal ethics and philosophy may dictate that you must take a stand on certain things, but no one else can tell you it is you know it is wrong for you to be silent here. And the problem is I'm a really quiet person in general and don't think my opinion is necessarily important mm-hmm. to anybody else. It's important to me, but unless it's asked for, I don't. I don't think that anybody else is needs to be forced to hear my opinion. They have their own, I'm sure. Yeah. But, you know, that's a little bit digression-y. But basically, we need to spend some time alone and reconsider who we are and mm-hmm. what we care about and slow down and observe our own mind. Do you think that's why meditation is so popular and trendy now? Maybe like it's that might be the it is in itself a reactionary response to the complete lack of solitude we have, and once again it would be maybe a little less popular or viral to be like maybe just be alone sometimes than it is to be like well you need a meditation timer which I can sell you on here you go you need guided meditation which I can sell you a subscription to here you go and you need to sit in a specific posture so you can unlock your perfect Zen state. Yeah, it's still formulaic, and if you're using it with, like, an app or something that talks to you while you do it, it's still with the input of another mind. Like, you're still not alone. That's true, yeah. But And that's also maybe why meditation is so hard for many people, mm-hmm. because we're not used to being alone with our thoughts anymore. And now yeah. now it's uncomfortable. It's like, oh, um, oh, what was that thought? I don't think I – did I agree with what I said? Oh, that's complicated, complicated. Give me my Facebook. Well, you were, ta- you were talking about this to me, like, a few days ago. Um, where we were talking about, and again, this is me getting into ignoramus territory here, but uh, it, it feels like now so many people deal with anxiety. And the question in my mind is, are we dealing with the same amount of anxiety we've always dealt with and it's just more visible now because people are being more open about it? Or is there an increase in anxiety that is kind of like, you know, if you chart it on a line graph, it's sort of also right there in line and lockstep with an increase in social media use and the lack of solitude. Uh, and I, I think what we had talked about before was like, you know, is, is it possible that uh, never having freedom from the input from other minds, never having 
just solitude to process your own thoughts makes you unable to do so when you have difficult things come up. Like you're on eight, you're, you're not used to working through things on your own. Yeah. I think that there's probably an element. I mean, even in this book, he referenced talking to a college counselor who was like, well, before we would basically get the same amount every year. You'd get, you'd get depression, the occasional OCD, you'd get some anxiety things. But then suddenly it seemed like 80% of the students Mm -hmm. all had an anxiety disorder of some kind. And this isn't to say that anxiety isn't real, but it's to say that there might be a percentage of it that we can do something about Yeah, by simply remembering how to be a human and not a cell phone operator and not a responder exclusively to other people because right. I want to be my own person. Yeah, I, I realize that to some degree most of what I do will be a reaction to something. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I, maybe I want to react and reflect on my own thoughts. Yeah. And a lot of history's greatest works have come from that. A lot of our greatest thinkers, mm -hmm. I, I highly doubt that a, a lot of the great philosophers would have been on Twitter asking, hey, what do you think about like this? What do you think about like uh, morals? Do you think they're cool yeah. or not? Should I not do this? Give me a thousand likes and I'll write a thesis on morals. <laughs> Like, they, great reflection was needed. Yeah. And great solitude was needed for many things, and there are so many quotes about it. And I think one of my favorites is uh, Picasso reference, and somebody was talking about what Picasso had told him in a conversation, and it was uh, nothing, nothing can be accomplished without, without solitude, basically. Mm -hmm. Just nothing of any importance, really. Which is... Also a good tip for group projects. Yeah. Have meetings and then go off and do something. Yeah. Well, we need time to reflect. A lot of the best breakthroughs come in that kind of an environment. Mm -hmm. Just like suddenly, whoa, I didn't even consider that. Was that going on in the back of my head? That's cool. Yeah. Maybe I should listen to my head sometimes. Yeah. And when you, when you mentioned like you believe anxiety is real, I absolutely do. But I guess what I'm saying is, you know how it's well established that burnout happens when you overwork yourself for a long period of time. It's like a chronic stress situation. Yeah. So I don't think that it would be um, unrealistic to believe that, you know, chronic lack of solitude can also have harmful mental effects. We've just never had this, you know, mm -hmm. so we would only be just now seeing. Yeah what this does to us. We're not, what's it been, like 20 years, 10 years? Uh, I I remember not media, having the like internet. Years. I yeah. remember not having it. I grew up without it. Yeah. We, we couldn't afford cable even. I, I got it on the weekends sometimes when I went to my dad's. But there was younger people so don't. much time where I didn't have this. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember being as concerned. And, you know, memories are faulty. Yeah. But basically system-wide we're seeing suddenly everybody's unhappy mm. and 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 i don't think it's as simple as i'm comparing my life to somebody on instagram i think that's a piece of it but mm. i don't think it's just that simple because there have always been people that are going to be better off than you probably yeah not necessarily rubbing it in but this seems bigger than any one tiny thing can fix i think it's a it's lot a, of effects. our world has changed because yeah. of this we're changing what it means to be human basically and yeah, I do think that the comparing your life aspect is part of it, but 
there's also the the aspect of like you know you post something you get that you get that like dopamine rush from seeing the likes or whatever but then that goes away so oh, yeah. or you are don't you get the always likes. on like a constant withdrawal and if if you're not like using this and then if you're using it so much that you're never on that withdrawal like then you're just using it all the time you're not really experiencing life yeah or you don't get the likes or you do really good this time and now that's set your bar for likes and if you don't get that many on the next one it's a failure even if it did good by you know yesterday's yeah. standards uh, and i think that withdrawal thing is really important that you mentioned that because that goes right into the third thing that i think is the, one of the most important things for this book mm. which is if you're going to be taking out the social media if you're going to be taking out the input of other minds and all of this you need to replace it with something fulfilling mm. so if you're gonna stop using social media you need to have fulfilling personal relationships you need to go hang out with your friends you need to yeah. do something you need to meet people go join a meetup uh, do something and find time find hobbies and things that will fulfill your time because you need to remember what it's like to get to enjoy spending time uninterrupted on something. And that's what impressed me the most about this book was I got inspired because for a while I was fine with my phone because I had read another really good book that I unfortunately don't have notes for because I read it physically, but it's called How to Break Up with Your Phone by Catherine Price. It was really good. It inspired me to make some changes on my phone that helped for a while. Mm -hmm. But like I said, the summer was really difficult. So, you know, I didn't like reality and retreated into the easier world of scrolling through nonsense and forgetting about it. Yeah. Which isn't very positive or helpful way to deal with it. Didn't do anything. But this book inspired me. So I took off some of the stuff. I put my phone in my backpack or I'd just turn it off or I'd leave do not disturb on all day. That's one of the suggestions he had was mm. leave do not disturb on and then don't then turn it off when you're doing something where, hey, I'm going to respond to everybody now. For the next yeah. 20 minutes, I'm going to do that. But I had such an incredibly good day after I did this that I was confused. Yeah. I didn't understand why. So I literally went and wrote it down. I have a note in iCloud that's just called, today felt really good. What did I do? <laughs> why? Why did it feel good? I'm, I'm used to neutral, maybe even negative but yeah. just good the whole way through. And the thing is, I largely ignored my phone and internet happenings. I didn't, not entirely. Mm -hmm. I did at specified, like, I'd just be in between activities and I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check what's going on. Then when I got to an activity, I would completely ignore my phone again. Yeah. And I would find that I could actually get into the flow state because I wasn't constantly in interrupting mm -hmm. it. So I literally woke up, voluntarily read from Digital Minimalism, like on a Sunday, then I played some Luigi's Mansion. Then I watched one episode of something on Netflix. Then we went to a bookstore. And uh, then I went and I just worked in my car for hours. Didn't even realize how much time was passing because I had no, inter on it. I had no interruptions. My phone was in my backpack. Yeah. Do not disturb on. My emergency contacts can still call me. I'm sure there's not going to be a problem. Then I played more Luigi's Mansion, made some tea, went on a walk in the middle of the night with that tea, voluntarily exercised on a Sunday night because I just kind of felt like it through Ring Fit Adventure, which is great still. <laughs> Gotta beat that buff dragon. It's, it's really great for some reason. And then I then applied to get a print shop on the site Inprint, which is juried. You have to oh, be yeah. 
you have to be accepted by the artist community already on there. Mm-hmm. Got accepted, felt really good about that, uploaded my first thing, and had a Japanese lesson, and we went to a restaurant. And this whole time, I was ignoring my phone. I was just... When I was doing an activity, I was doing an activity, and that was it. Yeah. And I did use social media, and it was useful because Twitter is how I found out about the site in print. Mm. So I was like, there's value in this social media. Yeah. It is useful, but it was more useful in a concentrated tiny block where I was like, yep, there are my updates. I will now ignore it for a while. Yeah. Because all of those things being uninterrupted was so strange and fulfilling. It felt like I had been myself that day yeah you just don't get that very often no the fact that it was confusing isn't a great sign (laughs) i shouldn't have to be like why am i so happy yeah so what are the actionable things that he suggests well one of the things is the do not disturb thing he suggests the app freedom okay but i think the main thing i can't remember if freedom currently works on iphones did they you did were it change saying, with the update well, or something? Yeah, they may have fixed it since then. Uh, it always seems to be this tug of war where like Apple will delete something they were able to use to block things and then they'll get around it. Oh, I, see. I don't know. So you guys have to check their page. Uh, but you had mentioned not keeping the social media apps on your phone. And then yeah. uh, one thing that my girlfriend has had a problem with is like, well, she can just go to the mobile site in the browser. Don't but be. you had said you can set up an uh, ad blocking profile and just block facebook at a domain level on your phone yeah yeah i just i got a little ad blocking program and i just reddit.com i'm now designating you ads Mm. so this will automatically block yeah the input and you can do things like screen time as well with iphones but also don't be logged into the mobile web version and if you know Mm. your password for social media maybe you should get a password manager because i don't know my password for facebook because it's not important True. For me to know that password. So it's, and I don't have like password management on my phone either. So I have to go to a computer if I want to log into Facebook. I hmm. don't, I don't know the password at all. But if you had to, you could download your password manager on your phone. I could. Like if you were, if I absolutely stuck had to get an airport and your laptop I was could. dead or something, you could get it. Yeah. Okay. So like I could do it in an emergency, but that emergency has never happened. So yeah, I think that's the thing is like you need to consciously admit that the emergency has not yet happened and I don't need uber convenience. Well, we can't be prepared for literally every single emergency in life. There's yeah. going to be some stuff that we're not prepared for and that used to just be a situation and now it's like, well, I'm going to the store, but maybe I need my GPS. What if I get lost somehow? Ah, like there's another thing. I mean, GPS like, is super helpful, but once again, I don't need it all the time. I, I I will get home in the most efficient way with my GPS, but I would find my way home, and I would be using my brain. Well, and you'd get to know the layout yeah. of the city. Like, especially just, when you're in Denver, ain't that hard to get around. Oh, look, the mountains are over there. I know what direction is west. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> incredibly helpful. So... I don't know. Yeah, I feel like we so, need to just let our brains puzzle through things more. And I do think that, and this isn't even a social media thing. I do think there's like the, the internet and having the magical answer device in your pocket at all times. It's just like, it, it, again, it's the, the Pavlov thing. It's like, oh, I have a question. Boom, got the answer instantly. Oh, that was great. Didn't have to think through it. But then that sort of like that conditions you. 
Yeah. And it probably limits your creativity and the things you can do on your own. Yeah, well, and that's why I think it's so important to replace these activities with something fulfilling and meaningful because otherwise, if I just get rid of my phone and I don't go hang out with people mm-hmm. and I don't have a fulfilling hobby or work to pour myself into or family to help, I'm just going to be kind of left there very much noticing how many notifications I'm not checking. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm just going to be left there with that, like, mini withdrawal. I'm going to be left there with the anxious desire to get that dopamine. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just going to want it back because I'm less happy than I was with the social media if yeah. I don't fill that time with something more than just, I need my phone. I can't yeah. stop thinking about my phone. You got to distract yourself. You need to find something worth doing. Mm-hmm. And now I've been getting more and more into like pixel art and i just got my piano back out of storage so i'm playing that again and i can just go for an hour or two i last night i was working on pixel art for like two or three hours didn't even realize it didn't get to bed till one because i wasn't interrupted Mm -hmm. and that can't happen when i get interrupted i never ever get into the flow state so nothing is ever fulfilling yeah yeah last night was great i mean same i didn't have my phone out i was sitting right there just plugging my bass into the pedal and like learning bass lines and then plugging my guitar in and be like, okay, well, what sounds good with this bass line in terms of chords? Oh, hey, that sounds pretty good. Like just like figuring things out Yeah, on my own. That's pretty nice. Uh, okay, so a few ideas I have. The deleting things off your phone, probably a good idea. Yeah, they're really not needed there. Mm-hmm. On your desktop, if you're... I think like the big thing is you should treat social media like email where it's like, all right, here is the time of the day where I'm going to check it. Yeah. And then I'll check it tomorrow again. So you could use freedom, which works perfectly on desktops to limit your social media use to either. I think you can set it to like, you know, only 20 minutes a day or whatever, whenever you want, or you can make it a window. Um, and then there's like extensions like a newsfeed eradicator, which can just get rid of the news feeds entirely. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to do with Twitter because sometimes I find really interesting things on Twitter, but sometimes I just click into the replies on a thread and get angry, even though I don't want to. I, I do have that have happen sometimes. And I mean, maybe the sometimes thing I Ashley do, will tell me about something she saw and then I'll just, be like, look, you have brought me anger. Why? <laughs> yeah. Maybe the thing I got to do is just like, Sorry, bro, but if you are either tweeting or retweeting stuff that puts me in one of those rabbit holes where I get angry, I'm just going to unfollow you. I've done that for a lot. I'm just like, I mean, I like some of your content, but once again, the anti-benefit approach is not Mm -hmm. sufficient here. Is the good things you're tweeting worth the fact that I know you're really going to be talking about whatever it is that you just said that I either disagree with or that stresses me out and Mm -hmm. ruins my day? Because I keep up on the news. I'm trying to be civilly responsible. I know what's going on. Yeah. But I don't need to know what's going on every five minutes. I was just about to say, I can already hear certain people crying out like, if you don't follow these people on Twitter, you're going to be uninformed. Like, I'm very informed. It's like, is that the only option you have for being informed? If I could be informed two or three times a week, I feel like that's very informed compared to people of 60 years ago. I don't even think. That's so what, many times. What action one time, can I take? One time a week, it's two or just, three times a week, being informed about like I don't. I get not to really. vote like you what, get a no. twice a year. 
Yeah, and I mean, I'm I already like care about charities and all this stuff, and I, and I pay attention yeah. and I do stuff, but I do not need that stuff to interrupt the activities mm-hmm. that will make me a more functioning person. And if I'm a more functioning person, I can help more people. Yeah, one cannot pour from an empty cup. If I run myself into the ground in a big anxiety fueled depression and I lose all my money because I can't think about it or work, mm-hmm. I can help no one. Yeah, not a single person will ever benefit from me. Unless they donate my body to science and somebody pays them for it. But that's just – even the stuff that's important that you know can be managed in a way that it doesn't have to take away the other important parts of life. Yeah. Yeah. So use social media less. Yeah. Interesting that his thesis wasn't delete social media. Well, d- delete was – largely his for mobile apps but but he, he, he also knows deleting that your accounts he advocated it if you can but accepts that there oh, okay. are reasonable benefits that one might because sometimes you need it for work and yeah he, so he wanted the approach to be realistic okay because a lot of people aren't going to be able to delete it and also if you want to delete it it'll be easier to do that after you try all this stuff and you realize hey i didn't need it after all yeah because at first it's going to be really scary Mm. And, like, I do legitimately use Facebook for things, and I don't want somebody to take my URL on there and impersonate me or something, so... Yeah. It's whatever, but... And, and I think honestly, he said that his smartphone isn't even a problem for him. He doesn't use it that way, so there's no reason for him to, like, go get a dumb phone. Yeah. It doesn't hurt him. He doesn't I, use yeah, it Yeah, you can way. just not have the apps. I don't get the whole... I feel like the, the whole dumb phone thing is, like, classic overreaction where... My suspicion is that the majority of the motivation to go buy a dumb phone for most people, and they probably would not admit this to themselves, but it is because there is excitement in getting a new toy, even if that new toy is purposely less capable than your current toy. That would I think be there's exciting. a lot of consumerism in that because, and I'm, I say this from like a position of experience, not like, oh, I'm so much better than that like no i've been like oh it would be cool if i got this thing because it's so much simpler yeah well that other book that i read the how to break up with your phone book inspired me to do one thing that fixed a lot which was the apps i can't delete or Mm -hmm. i think i actually need i stuck them all in one big unorganized folder that i stuck on the second screen of my phone so that Mm. my main home screen is blank other than like the call and message and a budgeting app and my to-do list. Mm-hmm. It's completely blank. I cannot muscle memory tap anything now. Yeah. For mine, uh, I haven't done that fully, but Instagram and Twitter are in a folder on the second page at the back of that folder, like eight pages or eight, eight swipes in. And I have gone into the settings and removed them from search. So I can't just oh, pull nice. down and search for them. That's a good I have idea. to swipe like nine or I 10 I forgot times. you could even do that. That's an improvement even. Mm-hmm. That way you can't get used to just swiping down and typing. That's a good idea. Yeah. I oh. mean, I'm still not perfect. Like, I'll still go to Instagram sometimes mindlessly, but it's been an improvement for sure. No, well, it's like meditation, right? You notice yourself do it, and then you say, oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to do this. Yeah. I notice the the intruding thought come through, and then I think, oh, that's interesting. I'm just going to let that pass. You mm-hmm. can't, if you focus on that you're messing up, oh, I opened Instagram, you're just thinking about Instagram for longer. Yeah. And then also all notifications are uh, dumb. 
Yes. I do not exist to answer to other people in real time. Yeah. <laughs> I will answer to them on my own time. I and I especially do not exist on. to do that for applications. The, ba- for the badges and all that. Like, yeah, text messages and calls are one thing. Yep. That's but it. all the other apps, they don't even deserve a badge. I will see if there's an update for your app when I feel like it. Mm-hmm. I'm other, your phone is telling you what to do instead of the other way around. This is supposed to be yeah. a tool we use. I guess I think I have Slack DMs right now on notification, but I could probably turn those off safely. Yeah. Because here's another thing, and I know you get this because you've told me about it. You get like the anxiety when you have a notification and you don't even want to read it because you're like, oh, I don't think I'm ready to compose the perfect response that's witty and complete. Oh no, yeah. I better just leave I better leave it unread so I don't forget about it. Then you're just gonna keep thinking about but it. But then like you're thinking about it, and if you had just not gotten the notification in the first place, instead sat down like I am ready to answer messages right now, you would just do it. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh, there's an open you thread. Don't, you don't need all of the previous anxiety and worry about it. That didn't help at all. Mm-hmm. It did nothing for you. I think it's a big thing. Like we often talk about, you know, the, there's anxiety about things you can control and anxiety about things you can't control and the choice to not answer a message now, but to be alerted to its presence now gives you something to worry about that is outside your control at this very moment. Yeah. Like if you're driving, mm-hmm. you know, and I get a Slack notification while I'm driving and I don't have a do not disturb on I might be like, what if it's a work emergency? Oh, but I'm in the middle. I'm in the interstate. I can't check that. Do I irresponsibly try to die by checking my phone? No, I shouldn't do that. But it might be a work emergency. Let me, uh, ah, let, me, ah. let me calm your fears there. If there's ever a true emergency for work, I will call you. See, that's, that's really the thing. If there's <laughs> I'm an not going to put it on Slack. <laughs> if there's an emergency, hopefully someone will call you. Yes. You know? It's, and really the whole crux of it is just that these are supposed to be tools we use, mm-hmm. so we should stop letting them use us. We, and don't let them be the we don't filter them. through which we experience life. This is another thing I think about. Like When I was a kid, I would go outside, and I would go to my neighbor's houses and knock on their doors and ask if their kids were home. That's scary. And uh, here's another thing. My friend Antonio, who's in his 40s, will sometimes just call me to talk. Yeah. He's the only person besides my mom and my dad who will ever do that. And meanwhile, like people more our age, I've seen stuff on Twitter where it's like, if you call before texting to ask if you can call, you're a monster. And there's all this agreement. And I'm like, why? If you don't want the call, just don't answer it. Like, wh- why do we feel like we need to be like, oh, hey, can I tweet you to like, tech, like, see if I can text you and then like text you to see if I can call you? And Permission like- to slide into your DMs. Yeah, could we like schedule Wrong. some Denied. time to hang out? And I realize like being an adult means you kind of have to schedule time to hang out. But that's like that is one of there's the a difference between dealing with the reality of schedules and obligations and being like, oh, I don't want to impose too much by calling you. So let me text you first. Like, what is the deal with that? Maybe I'm just old. You are. Maybe I'm old. like old man yells at cloud right here, but I don't get it. Like, call me if I don't want to answer. I won't. And you can leave me a voicemail or text me about what you wanted. And if I don't want to hear it, I will put my phone and don't disturb. Now, we have the choice to turn these things, the interruptions yeah. off. We're, we're in control. We just like forget that we are. So now we're putting societal pressure on other people to behave in a certain way because we want to set our phones up in a way that, that can basically woof us yeah. to make an office reference. Woof.com. I don't know. It's yeah. just, it's weird. 
I feel like there are certain things where you are getting old and out of touch and that's just what it is. And there's certain things where it's like, no, it really was better the way we used to do it. And we just haven't thought about the cost we have incurred in this new way of doing things. You know what? To counteract that, I'll say one thing that's old that wasn't better. MySpace, where you literally (laughs) ranked your best friends in a numerical order That's, publicly that is messed up that was actually pretty yeah that was That's pretty messed, messed up. up that is way worse than now can i be in your top eight i don't uh, know it felt so good to How be in the top eight got? of like somebody that you were attracted to you were it like did. yes they think i'm cool wrong this is the most like toxic divisive thing to ever but it's true top so, eight's pretty bad sorry bro you're not my best best friend duh yeah that, that was pretty so, bad you know but like it's not all old old man opinions. That was wor- worse. Worrying about this follower ratio, that's also pretty bad. You know? Yeah. And that ties into some like deep rooted human behavior. You know, we look towards people who are influential and if someone's like, I vouch for that person, then you know, we trust them more. But Yeah. But now it's just like, oh well, I don't want to follow this person because it's gonna make my ratio like 9.9 to 1 instead of 10 to 1. And uh, true influencers have 10 to 1 ratio at least. That is, like, never even considered that. No. I do not do that because it's dumb. What's my ratio? It doesn't matter. Uh, you know on. what? I think I'm famous if I have the right numbers. Give you me know, a second. You know Joel, uh, Joel, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but the guy who founded Buffer? Yeah. That dude is a multimillionaire He's doing just fine, and he follows like 50,000 people on Twitter. He has more than that, but I remember when he was building Buffer with Leo, they would just follow back like, I'm just cool, let's just do it. It doesn't matter. You, you know, I want to feel validated saying, by my ratio, though. It's, my, it's not me saying you need to follow back everyone who follows you because I think that w- that's also just like, if you're following back everyone who follows you, then you're not going to see their stuff in your feed. Like what's yeah. It doesn't really do anything. I don't really believe in following people as a way to validate them. Like I could just be your friend in real life, but I'm not going to be like, Oh, I'm concerned for my image. That is why I'm not going to follow this person. Or that's why I need to go through and unfollow a bunch of people so I can get down to whatever I need for a certain ratio. You know, we talk a lot about social proof. And I remember when I was, Coming up in the blogging world, there were all these blogging tips articles, and a lot of them were like, "You gotta show your numbers, but only if there's certain certain numbers, because like social proof, man. Like, put your RSS number of subscribers in your sidebar, but only if it's a thousand or more. Otherwise, they're gonna think you're lame." Yeah, I see the logic, but it's still sad. It is, and it's what convinces so many people to use like follow bots on Twitter. Which is ridiculous. It's a good point. I can fix my ratio by paying. That's true. You could just pay money. Oh, hey, look. I've got another product to but sell you. Then my engagement rates will go down significantly. As oh, it's true. I've got another product to sell you for that, though. It's not. Oh. It's going to be significantly more expensive. Okay. It's going to involve constantly paying people to pretend that they care about you. I could. I think I could do that. And as your following grows, the engagement rate is going to need to grow with it. It will never end. That's cool. <laughs> As long as people act like they like me. I don't know, man. Just That's something you got to think about. Like, does it ever end? You know? Because a, a lot of growth and success is just the addition of more pressure. So you got to choose, you know, what, what is the philosophy you're going to live by? 
And what are you going to consciously give up as a result? Maybe you're going to give up a little bit of speed in growth. Yeah. Or maybe, paradoxically, you'll grow faster because you've got time to think and time to create cool things that are actually remarkable. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So Glad that good, I had you good, to good book. summarize the book for me. It's a good book. I don't. So is the other one. I don't know how many productivity books I'm going to read in the future. I kind of feel done with productivity books. I'm going to be honest. I don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. This one just seemed reasonable after the other minimalism episode. But And there are a lot of people who are yeah, like, well, what do you think of this book? What do you think of this book? I'm like, I, well, I, I think, think that book contains some good like insights probably. Maybe one or two I might read still, but I, I largely just kind of want to read fiction right now, to be honest. Yeah. Well, here's something. I gain insight from fiction. And I want to say this from a very self-aware perspective. I think that if you are spending all of your time or you're only seeking to glean insights about productivity from people who spend most of their time doing a very limited subset of things, like most productivity gurus, quote unquote, they write things. They speak into microphones, they speak on stages, and they make videos. That's true. There's kind and of maybe a... they do consulting, which is often born from experience that is really limited to just like the research they do for the, that output. So like, cool. Where are the insights you're gleaning from musicians, painters, fishers, um, construction engineers, foremen, like metal workers, literally anybody yeah, I've been really wanting to read like an MLK biography. Yeah, because like how much I, did you I learn doubt, from the I doubt it's going to be like I have a to do list, but I use I'm, the Pomodoro technique I to write this. Still speech. think that I'm going to find much more insight. I find insight <laughs> in fiction more than I do now if I read several more productivity books. It's like yeah, it's just at some point you just have to use the productivity advice mm-hmm. that we, works for you. We talked a lot on. about how context matters like a lot of times you know the the space or the point at your life that you are in really matters to uh how receptive you're going to be toward the message which is why like you could read getting things done when you're 17 and it might make a certain impact you could read it when you're 37 it might make a bigger impact um which and there's a lot of praise thrown around for people who can use relevant examples in their work well what's more relevant than reading from people who will literally do what you want to do like not everyone listening to this podcast wants to be a productivity guru or YouTuber. I would imagine that'd be a very strange statistic. That'd be pretty weird, so. right? Yeah, I I want to be a musician, so I'm going to go read books by musicians. And I am I'm reading David Burns' book right now, and I'm like, a lot of what he's like, he talks about a lot of like you know, uh, setting up stages for performances and like all his biography in terms of like his musician career. But there's a lot of insights in there, yeah, about being a better musician. Like he he talked about how he had a he he had made like this huge stage production and it was like this touring roadshow. And for one of the shows, uh, he was able to ask like this very famous Peking opera performer from China to watch the show. And uh, afterwards they had gotten dinner together and he was asking him just for his thoughts on it. And uh, the guy basically was, he's very blunt about his feedback. He's like, you're doing this, 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 and this wrong. Uh, one of the things being, when you have like a very bombastic moment in the music, you can't just do it because 
a lot of times the audience isn't paying attention and half of them are gonna miss it. If you're gonna do something surprising, paradoxically, you need to lead up to the surprise. And you have to do it in a way that doesn't totally give it away, but it still gets people kind of like paying attention, like, oh, something's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, and I thought immediately to, you know, like a circus where there's like the drum roll, right? Yeah. The drum roll is not there for no reason. The drum roll is to be like, oh, something's about to happen. I better That's pay true. attention. You, you might miss it. Yeah. But, and you could apply that to anything, right? If you're a writer and you're about to go into a huge battle scene, you probably want to like write something that would sort of lead up to it. And, and create like some some tension, some building excitement. If you're writing a song, and you know this, um, you could just go from the verse to the chorus, but like a pre-chorus can sort of build up to the chorus. Or the yeah. verse itself provides contrast to the chorus. Songs aren't all a chorus because then there's nothing to contrast them to. But a productivity guru is probably not going to tell you those things because they aren't a performer. I mean, yeah. I guess they're a performer in one way, but they're not a singer or a dancer you, know, you should get your inspiration from several different sources and types of people and experiences otherwise yeah it's just the same message mm-hmm. over and over again yeah so something that i'm trying to do when i go to the bookstore i don't just go to the business section i go elsewhere right now it's it's musicians but who knows maybe someday i'll read a book by like a famous painter or something like i'm sure there's going to be cool stuff in there yeah but just because someone has oh, branded I read themselves. about the Da Vinci thing, and that did turn out to be pretty useful. Actually. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Da Vinci was a you know management consultant and productivity podcaster. Yeah. No, in some <laughs> ways he was pretty terrible at productivity, but still. Yep, but he still got some stuff done. You know. Anyway. Uh, yeah. I think we've talked probably enough. Probably. So, uh, once again, if you knew the title, it's probably in the title of this episode, but the book that. We discussed was Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. I, I take it you recommend it. Oh yeah, it's pretty cool. I do. I recommend all of his other books. I haven't read this one yet, but Cal hasn't let me down yet. So yeah, you know. And to be fair to Cal and partially to myself, I don't think that we should stop listening to people who do a lot of work in the productivity space. I, I just know, feel like it, it shouldn't useful. be everything. It, it you shouldn't. Know? It's like you know, any, any food. It might be healthy, but if you only eat that all the time, you're still missing stuff. Yeah. Speaking of food. What if I ate 100% carrot diet? That's probably still not great for me. Whole concept of mise en place? That came from Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. That wasn't me reading some like, oh, hey, David Allen told me mise en place. Like, no. Yeah. That was... That was a dude who like literally had to go into a kitchen every day and do inventory. So he's like, all right, let me lay out my kitchen the way I lay out my inventory sheets instead of just doing alphabetical inventory and then going all over the place. You know, you just, people who sit and write and research for a living do not get even a sliver of the possible experiences out there. So they should only get a sliver of the attention, I think, you know, but give me the big sliver. Yeah. I like like the big sliver. I need the big sliver. (laughs) Anyway, I, uh, I guess I have to look at my phone again. Oh, look, there's a notification, but it's on Do Not Disturb, so I don't know what it is. Oh, good. I do like how iOS does not show me what the notification text is. That's cool. Like, it just says, like, oh, it's something from Slack, but whatever. It's from Slack. I don't get to see what it is. So this is episode 282. You can go over to cigpodcast.com slash 282 to get the show notes for this episode. Or uh, I think that's probably tony to here to film stuff Hmm. um or you can just go to cigpodcast.com to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already we are on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts we are probably there 
And if you want to support this show, a great way to do it is to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you use that service, or just share this show with a friend, maybe send them your favorite episode, and they'll become a listener as well. But maybe not too often a listener, because we also need solitude. Yep. Yeah. I'm a content creator. So sometimes listen actively to Actively encouraging sometimes that you should yourself. Sometimes listen to somebody else. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Listen to your heart. Listen to the beat. Listen to the rhythm on the street. Open up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. That's uh, true. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you.